The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture reading for today is going to be from Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Matthew 6, starting in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, today is Palm Sunday, uh, the last Sunday of the season of Lent. It's the Sunday where we... We celebrate Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem at the beginning of what we call Holy Week, the week that he would come into Jerusalem, you have the Last Supper, you have his crucifixion, and then ultimately next Sunday we celebrate his resurrection on Easter. But Palm Sunday, when we look back at that first Palm Sunday, we see that it really truly was a celebration. I mean, Jesus is greeted with people waving palm branches, kind of like the fronds that you've had in your chairs this morning. And, and palm branches in first century Israel were almost like a flag. They were a national symbol of victory. So if you think of like uh, uh, footage you've probably seen from like World War II, soldiers returning from uh, war after the war is over and there being these celebratory parades and everybody's waving their flags. It's kind of the same thing. People would wave palm branches like a flag to greet kings returning victoriously from from war, to celebrate the one who just saved them, which is why we see when Jesus enters, people don't just wave palm branches, they also shout Hosanna, which means save now. Like, like they are celebrating very clearly Jesus as their victorious king who is coming to save them. Palm Sunday is a day of celebration, which is why. Perhaps you were a little confused when you just heard our passage read just a second ago. Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18 is a passage about fasting. Why in the world would we talk about fasting on a day that seems to be more about feasting, a day that's about celebrating? But perhaps, perhaps this is not as incongruent or as odd as you might think at first. Because, because at their heart, Palm Sunday and fasting are about the same thing, longing. At their heart, Palm Sunday, fasting, about the same thing, longing. And what, what is most interesting to me is how Palm Sunday and fasting both have a way of exposing, revealing the reality of what we are longing for. Is that it's not true as we just 
As we just talked about that first Palm Sunday, isn't that what we see on that first Palm Sunday? Through the branches, through the shouts of Hosanna, do we not see the reality that these people were longing for a king, a conquering king, a king who would be victorious and save them, a militaristic king who would throw off their Roman oppressors. And when Jesus doesn't turn out to be that kind of king that they are hoping for, what will happen to their celebration? It will cease. Instead of waving palm branches, they'll wave fists. Instead of shouting Hosanna, they'll cry, crucify him. Do you see? Do you see? Palm Sunday reveals the reality of the kind of king the people were desiring. It reveals the reality of what the people were longing for. Fasting does the same thing. Fasting reveals the reality of what we are longing for. Which is precisely what we need to see as we arrive right here in Matthew 6 and verse 16. This is what we need to see because throughout this chapter, Jesus has been showing us how our hearts desire one of two things. Our own glory or God's glory. Our our hearts long either to worship or to be worshipped. Jesus has shown us that one of those things is empty worship and one of those things is real worship. Throughout Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has been calling us consistently away from empty worship and inviting us into real worship. And if you remember, he's been doing this through giving us three examples. First, he gave us the example of almsgiving. He gave us the examples of of almsgiving so that we might see that that empty worship is all about external actions done in order to be seen by others and get the reward of recognition. Do you remember this as we walked through it? People called out the Pharisees and the scribes who were hypocritically giving alms to appear holy, but they're doing it with loud announcements and such so that they get glory from other people. Jesus is showing us empty worship. It's all about external actions. I just want to be seen by others get the reward of recognition while real worship jesus showed us isn't just external action it flows out of real internal affections for god that seeks ultimately the reward of him but jesus didn't stop there he gave us a second example do you remember that one he gave us the second example of prayer why why give us another example again if you look at these examples they parallel one another perfectly he virtually says the exact same thing three times why Well, if you remember, we saw he gave us that second example to really hammer home what he had already said, to hammer home the truth that any act of worship can be empty. Not just almsgiving, it can happen with an act of worship that's as intimate as prayer. And through prayer, he hammered home, not just that any act of worship could be empty, but he hammered home what real worship looks like. Through prayer, he invited us into real worship, which we saw is rooted in a real relationship with God. Centered on him and his glory, because that's my heart's ultimate satisfaction. That's my heart's joy. And so this morning, we arrive at the third and the final example Jesus gives us in chapter 6. The example of fasting. And if you're like me, at this point, you're probably really wondering, why do we need example number three? All right, Jesus, you showed us the difference between empty worship and real worship. You took both of those things deeper and really hammered them home. What, what, what's left? 
I think, I think this example is to push us to wrestle with the question, what is the reality in my life personally? Empty worship? Real worship. We've seen worship can be empty. We've seen that it can be real. We've seen it can seek the reward of recognition or it can seek the reward of a real relationship with Christ. Which reward am I really longing for? What is the reality in my life? I think that Jesus gives us this third example to make us wrestle with this question because this is precisely what fasting reveals. Fasting reveals the reality of what we're longing for. Shades, what are you longing for? Like, I mean, really, what are you after? What do you want? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What brings you here? What makes you sing? What makes you read this word? What makes you live in line with it? What are you longing for? Jesus is calling us, daring us, I say, to wrestle with that reality. The wrestling begins in verse 16. I dare you to come with me. Look at it. Matthew 6 and verse 16. And when you fast, Jesus says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, but they disfigure their faces that, they, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, that of recognition, their own glory. Jesus is using the exact same pattern we've seen him use in the first two examples of almsgiving and prayer. Literally, you can lay them right beside each one, each one, each other. They parallel one another perfectly. If you remember, if you've been with us, then what we've seen is that in each of these examples, he gives us a negative side, don't do this, and a positive side, do this. And both of those sides, the negative and the positive, both of them have a when, a what, and a why. All right, verse 16 right here, this is the negative side of the fasting example. This is what not to do. And through the when, the what, and why of this negative side, we see how fasting reveals the reality of what we're longing for. All right, see that with me. First, the when. Jesus says, when you fast. It's not run at a great speed. It's not what fast means right here. It was my attempt at a joke was as successful as all of my other jokes normally are. Fasting was a normal practice among the Jews in the first century, and fasting typically involves abstaining, most usually from, from food, sometimes drink as well, for a defined period of time. This is why we call the first meal of the day breakfast, break fast. We're breaking our fast that we've had through the night, a defined period of time where we abstain from food and drink. And and right here, Jesus assumes that fasting, it's not just this first century practice among the Jews, he assumes fasting will be a normal practice among his followers as well. He doesn't even tell us to fast, he assumes it. He says, when you fast. I don't know what your experience has been, but in much of the modern church, not all of it, but especially much of the modern church in the West, this is simply not the case. Fasting's not a normal practice. And there's a whole host of reasons we could discuss as to why that is, but just to focus in on one of the main ones, I think one of the main reasons has simply got to be a lack of understanding. We don't get it. What's the point of fasting? Like, what is this all about? And, and here's the deal. While it is about so many different things, go in a lot of different directions, 
I want to just get to the heart. And I've already told you this morning that I believe the heart of fasting is about longing. Let me show you what I mean. In the only other place Jesus talks about fasting. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Jesus talks about fasting twice. Here in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, and then right here in Matthew 9. Now you can find what's here in Matthew 9, you can find it in Luke and in Mark as well, but it's the same words recorded in all three of those places. Listen to what Jesus has to say right here. Matthew 9, verses 14 to 15. We read, Then the disciples of John, that's some of the disciples of John the Baptist, they came to Jesus saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus says, Fast. He compares himself being with his disciples to that of a bridegroom being with the wedding guests. He says, Look, Fasting makes no sense for my disciples as long as they have me with them. But the day is going to come when I depart, and then they will fast because they will long for him. Long for his return. That doesn't make any sense for them to be expressing longing when he's with them. But when he's absent, they will express this, this longing. Fasting is a physical expression of emotional, spiritual longing. Jesus right here in in Matthew 9, he compares it to mourning. Did you see that? How how will the wedding guests mourn when the bridegroom is with them? What, what, What is mourning if not a sorrowful expression of longing? Whether it's for a loved one who has died, I long for them. Whether it's mourning over injustice and brokenness in the world, it's longing, weeping over a longing for things to be made right. Fasting is a physical expression of longing. We're, we're familiar. We are familiar with other acts that give physical expression uh, to our emotions. Think of like a, a hug expresses love, or tears, which express sorrow or joy depending upon the situation. We, we are emotional, physical, and spiritual beings. And as much as we love to divide ourselves up, all that stuff is twisted and tangled up together. And so rarely do you get one without the other. Rarely do you get an emotional, spiritual response without some sort of physical manifestation. We are beings that are hardwired to find physical ways to express what we're feeling. And that's what fasting is. It's a physical expression of an emotional, spiritual longing. You you can see that if you just go through Scripture and look at all of the fasts recorded throughout Scripture. Just go through the Old Testament. Just do a word search and look at all the different fasts that are recorded. Um, I'll give you just a few. The only fast commanded in the law uh, was a fast on the Day of Atonement. Why? Because that's the day when the people were longing for their sins to be forgiven. Or look, look at the fast of individuals like King David who fasts when his infant son lays dying and he longs for him to live. 
Or you can look at corporate fasts, like with Esther. Uh, Esther, when her people were under the threat of a genocidal plot, she calls them all to fast, to express their great longing for God to, to save them. This fasting gives expression, at its heart, it gives expression to longing. And this, this is why fasting reveals the reality of what we are longing for. In Matthew 6, and verse 16, this is the truth that Jesus is unpacking. And he says right there that fasting reveals not only what... what, it, it, It reveals that not everyone is longing for the reward of him. Fasting reveals what we're longing for. In verse 16, he shows us that doesn't mean it reveals that everybody is longing for the reward of him. Look at verse 16 again, and let's see the second thing. Let's see the what. What are the scribes and Pharisees doing when they fast? That's going to reveal to us what they're actually longing for. Look at it. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. All right, so what do the scribes and the Pharisees do when they fast? They look gloomy, sullen. I don't know why, but in my head, like I just see like the Charlie Brown walk going on over here, which is not what they do. Jesus actually tells us what they do to make themselves look gloomy. He says they disfigure, or another word for that, probably a more accurate one would be hide. They hide their faces, most likely by using something like ashes. They smear ashes, they hide, they disfigure their their face. So basically, it's like they're using black makeup, if you will, to make themselves look sad, like throw in some skinny jeans and you've got like the first emo scene going on. Pharisees were hardcore. But seriously, like we've got to ask... What is it that they are doing wrong right here? I mean, Jesus calls them hypocrites, so clearly he thinks they're doing something wrong. But my question is, isn't fasting, we've been saying this all morning, isn't fasting giving physical expression to the feeling of longing? So how is what they're doing not a natural extension of that? They're just giving more physical expression to how they feel, right? How's that hypocritical? Why is what they are doing wrong? To see that, we've got to look at the third thing, the why. The why. Why are they doing what they're doing? One last time, verse 16. They disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, that reward of recognition. Why? Why do they disfigure their faces, hide their faces, so that they may be seen by others? They do it for the reward of recognition. That is the reality of what they are longing for. Do you see how fasting reveals that? The reality of what they're longing for is to be recognized, to get glory for themselves from others. And this is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. Because their external action of fasting says, we're longing for God. But their internal affection, 
doesn't match with that. They're really longing for their own glory. Do you see this hypocritical irony going on right here? I'm doing an action that says I long for God, and really I long for something else. The, the irony is even more clear in Greek, because in Greek there's some fun wordplay going on here. Two words in this verse have the same root, so they kind of sound alike and would draw attention to one another. They are the words for disfigure, or I told you a better translation of that would be hide, and the words for seen. Get this, do you see the irony? Jesus says, they hide their faces so that they might be seen. You don't have to know Greek to hear the irony right there. It's the irony of reality. They're fasting, claiming to long for God. that He is their reward. But the way they are fasting reveals the reality of the reward that they are longing for. Recognition and glory for themselves. Shades. What's the reality in our lives? Like, what is the reality? No matter what we present, we do a lot of presenting in our modern day culture. No matter what we present, what, what is the reality of what we are longing for? If we want to know, all we've got to do is examine the way we worship. Examine the way we worship. Just, just, just take the three examples that Jesus gives us in this chapter. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. What does our almsgiving, or in other words, what we do with our money, what, what does our usage of money reveal about the reality of what we are longing? Much of what we do with our money reveals much about what we worship. Are we willing to wrestle with that reality? This isn't just true of almsgiving. You ask about the second example that Jesus gives. What about, what about prayer? Like if I examine my prayers and what I pray about, or whether or not I pray, too busy getting stuff done. Prayer doesn't get stuff done. What, what do our prayers reveal about the reality of what we are longing for? What do we pray for? What do we pour out our hearts longing for? Are all of our requests, and we've talked about the fact, of course, we pour out all of our hearts before the Lord, but are all of our requests anchored in the ultimate petition that Jesus himself gave us last week? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's, that's what I want more than anything. And in everything that I present to you, that's what I want. May my every request at the end of the day serve your glory, because that's my joy. Like what reality do our prayers reveal our hearts to be longing for not just almsgiving not just prayer but even this third example fasting and you may be thinking jonathan i'm gonna be honest i don't really fast but is that true i mean if you think about it if you think about it this way if if, if fasting is being willing to be deprived of one thing 
as an expression of longing for something else even more. If fasting is a willingness to sacrifice something, in this case normally food, because I've got a deeper hunger, something I want more, then we could all ask, what do the sacrifices in our lives reveal that we are hungry for? Like, will I give up? Uh, will I give up everything in order to achieve glory in my career? Will I, will I sacrifice my integrity? In order to get ahead, will I give up my witness to the glory of Christ because I'm thirsty and hungry for my own glory? Or, to put it another way, will I, uh, will I sacrifice friends and family over political loyalties? Because I'm ultimately, really, truly hungry for political power over everything else. So I'm willing to sacrifice even my witness for Christ in order to get my political party in, in power. I'm not so much concerned with following Jesus as much as I'm concerned with the latest talking head on cable news who commands me, unlike Jesus, commands me to love my enemies and sacrifice myself for them. They command me to hate my enemies. And I'm willing to sacrifice Christ for political power in this life. Or... To put it one other way, will I love God? Love God as long as He gives me what I want. Really, at the end of the day, He's a means to an end. I'll love God as long as He gives me marriage that I'm longing for. But if He doesn't, gone. I love God as long as he gets me out of marriage. I, I, I sit and counsel people in both situations in my office. I love God as long as he gives me children. The family that I want, as long as he gives me security, financial stability, I'll love him as long as he gives me what I'm really hungry for. Is that not what the Pharisees are doing with their fasting? Using God to get what they're really longing for. Claiming to long for God. Claiming that He is their heart's reward. The way they worship revealed the reality of what they were really longing for. Shades. What is the reality in our lives? Will you really wrestle with that question? Jesus continues to help us wrestle by showing us the positive side of the example. We've seen the negative side in verse 16. We get the positive in verses 17 and 18. Look at it with me. Jesus says, but when you fast, in other words, my disciples, when you fast, Anoint your head, wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So here we get the positive side again. It's got a when, a what, and a why. So first, the when. The when remains the same. When you 
fast. When you, my followers, Jesus is saying, you, you, your fasting should look different than that of the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees. What? what, what what's different about it? What, what should their fasting look like? Secondly, see the what. Jesus says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Jesus isn't actually asking his disciples to do anything special right here. Okay, like this, this is just normal, everyday, first century hygiene. The only one that's weird to us is the whole anointing yourself with oil. But that was like, it was like using lotion in the dry Middle Eastern climate. It was just part of your everyday routine. Jesus is basically saying, when you fast, do your normal morning thing. Whatever that is for you, like shower, shave, which is only a part of my routine on, on Saturday evenings. It's confession. Um, put on deodorant, brush your teeth, wash your face, do all the normal things. But, as we read this, I wonder if this feels like a bit of hypocritical irony to you, like we saw on the negative side of the example. I mean, Jesus, think about it, Jesus is asking us to cover up the fact that we are fasting. How's that not hypocritical irony? I mean, isn't fasting supposed to give physical expression to our emotional longing? So why would we hypocritically try to hide that expression? Jesus is glad that we asked. He tells us why. Revealing that this is not hypocrisy at all. See that with me. Third, and finally, see the why. The why. One last time. Verses 17 to 18. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that, here's the why, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This fasting is not hypocrisy because it is external action that is consistent with the internal affection that it's expressing. Internally, its longing is for God. So externally, it's done for Him alone to see. You see that. It, it is done, this fasting is done, not for the reward of recognition, but for the reward of Him getting God. This fasting reveals the reality of the reward being longed for. And if what we are really longing for is God, then our fasting will be done in a way that seeks Him. All of our worship will be aimed at a desire for Him, which doesn't mean that we never our worship is never seen by another person. That's not actually the point of what Jesus is saying right here at all. We have seen that through every example that He has given. Jesus' point is not that no one ever sees us give, ever sees us pray, or ever sees us fast. Jesus did all three, and people knew it. The point is not that no one ever sees our worshiping, but that our hearts are aimed at one person seeing God. All our giving, all our praying, all our fasting, all of our worshiping, it is all aimed at Him. It's all because we want one reward. Him shades. Is that our reality? Are we willing to do the hard work 
of wrestling with that question. I keep asking you that because I know myself and in myself and I think in all of us is this natural instinct to avoid wrestling with the difficult questions of life. Blaise Pascal, a Christian philosopher back in the day, he famously wrote, the sole cause of man's unhappiness... You got my attention, Blaise. What a great name, by the way. Parents, come on. Let's get some blazes going on around here. Okay, anyway. The sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. What he means, it's not apparent at first, but what he means is that we intentionally live busy lives of distraction to avoid stillness and silence that makes us wrestle with the deepest questions of life, death, and the purpose of everything. And what I'm proposing to you is that as Christians, we are not immune to doing this. We, we do this, even with theology. Like this morning, as we walk through a text like Matthew 6, we can distract ourselves by analyzing it to the point that we never wrestle with it personally. Oh, cool, some Greek wordplay over here, and talk about parsing that verb right over here, and... Let's get down into the nitty. Oh, look at the parallelism of what Jesus is saying. That's cool. It's really, really awesome. And we keep Jesus' words about empty worship and real worship at a comfortable distance through theological theory instead of sitting still long enough to ask empty worship, real worship, which one is my reality? What? What does my worship reveal to be the reality of the reward that I am longing for? Am I like the people in the streets on that first Palm Sunday in Jerusalem? Where their worship looked like it celebrated Jesus as king. But in reality, their worship revealed the kind of king they were truly longing for. And if I'm like them, then as soon as Jesus turns out not to be the king that I want him to be, who gives me what I want, centers on my glory, then my celebration of him will do the exact same thing theirs eventually did. It will cease. But, but, if if all my worshiping, if all of my fasting is really expressing a longing for Christ and the King that He is in reality, then shades, my worship of Him, my celebration of Him will never cease. No, indeed, the day will come when my fasting will cease because all of my fasting will one day become feasting. And that day, it's going to look an awful lot like a second Palm Sunday because Christ is going to come again, this time making a triumphal entry into the new Jerusalem of new creation. And I think that we just might wave some palm branches and shout hosanna because he really will be our conquering king 
coming to bring salvation to completion. And as he comes, he is coming not to take up a cross, but to take his seat upon his throne. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. And all of our fasting that was ever done in secret will be rewarded by our Father who saw it all as he gives us the very thing our hearts were fasting and longing for, himself. All of our fasting will be over. For how can the wedding guests mourn or fast when the bridegroom is with them and Christ will be with us? Fasting finished, longing fulfilled, shades. Is this, is this, as we turn the corner of the Lenten season and stare down Easter, is this the reality that we are longing? 